0: do Talk Radio. Hallelujah, Mr. Billy Preston this morning, and you can't be God-given no matter how you try. Because the more you give, the more he'll give to you. We just have to keep trusting him and keep going, you know, keep believing and just keep going and doing what we know is right. The things that we know pleases him and the things that he accepts, Yeah. And another thing we must do is we must learn to accept what God allows. We're better off anyway. Good morning, C.I. God bless you. Yeah, we're better off if we can only accept what God allows. Yeah, I'm thankful unto him this morning. I give him glory. I give him the honor. And I give him the praise because without him, I can do absolutely nothing. So it's best I accept what God allows. Well, Barbara, what is he allowing? Sometimes he allows uh, the bad to come with the good. Yeah, many times the bad will come before the good. But we know that all things work together for our good. It must. And you know why it must work together for our good? Because he said so. Yeah, he said it would work together for our good. And if he said it, it must come to pass. We just have to believe and trust God and keep it moving in him, in him. Let ourself go. Yeah, I've never seen so many uh, people who say they're Christians, they're believers. But you don't see the sign of God. You, you, You see the sign of their flesh. And so we pray for them. We pray for them. Yeah, there's a song, I think Mississippi Mass Choir sang it if I'm not mistaken, and then it could be Chicago. The song says, I hope. In other words, I pray we'll all be ready. <laughs> I pray we'll all be ready when Jesus comes. The The leader of the song says, I, I pray that we get our business straight so that we all can meet at the gate. I pray we'll all be ready when Jesus comes. Hallelujah, hallelujah. That's my prayer as well. Because sometimes trauma come in people's lives. And they go into church, they doing this, they doing that, they say they're believers. But when that trauma come, when, when the enemy come in like a flood, they forget that it's God that will raise the standard. And so they just lean on into the trauma, whatever it may be. When I tell you, I don't, I, I try to understand, but I, it's hard for me to understand because if you got Jesus, no matter what comes your way, I don't care what it is that comes your way. If you got Jesus, you lean into him. I am a living witness. He will comfort you. He will strengthen you. Yeah, I'm not telling you what the preacher told me, the Sunday school teacher taught me. I read it in a book. I heard the the TV evangelist say it. No, I'm telling you from self-experience. The worst thing that happens to you, if you'll trust God, if you'll go to him, if you'll continue to believe and trust him, he will bring you out better than all right. When my daughter passed away, listen, I'm telling you this, is my biological youngest. My oldest daughter, the first daughter I ever had, passed away, died. Now, of course she went to take her rest in Jesus because she was saved, she was a minister. But you couldn't imagine how I felt and I'll never be able to just pick up the phone and call her again. She'll never be able to send me funny stuff on Facebook. TikTok crazy stuff. And she would say, look at this. Can you believe the world is doing... That that can't be no more. The next time I see her is when I go back with him. She'll be waiting for me. Hallelujah. In this hour that I lost my baby, in this hour that I realized realizing I can never talk to her again, and she talked back. The Lord come and strengthen me. Before this happened, he showed me she was going. He showed me she wasn't going to make it any longer in this life. Every day, I FaceTime with her while she was in intensive care. Oh, it was horrific. I'm praying with her. I'm singing her favorite songs. I'm playing her songs that she sang. But I knew she was gone. Y'all don't understand. I already knew my baby was gone. But I couldn't cry, I couldn't be sad. All I could do is rejoice because I knew who had her. I knew who hands she was in. Now without Jesus, I couldn't have done that. Please believe me. If I didn't have him living in me, if if he wasn't mine and I wasn't his, if I wasn't an obedient servant, an obedient daughter unto him. I could not have done that, Louis. I would have fell apart, Louis. My oldest daughter. You gotta know me. You gotta know her. We 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 had a strange relationship.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. She would you know text me or she would um, send me a message on Facebook and she would say, "Good morning, Pete Toe." <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, it would just tickle me all in my foot. (laughs) I'm telling you. Some days she would write and say, Pig Feet, are you up? I I made this and that. I made your favorite thing last night, Pig Feet. Yeah, all kind of stuff like this. So when she went away in this life, I won't get that anymore. Not from her. I have other children now. And I believe these knuckleheads love me. But guess what? It's not her. But God strengthened me in my hour of need, in that hour of bereavement, in that hour when nobody's around and you thinking back on things y'all did together. You even think back on the day she was born. No tears, no sorrow. God, only God strengthened me. Do you hear me? And we got to get there. We must allow him to be the God of our lives. Jesus must be the Lord of your life. Because if not, you won't make it. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is destruction. Yeah. We grieve, yeah, as Christians we're going to grieve, we're going to be sorry for we're going to be sad, we're going to miss them, but God strengthen us. We're not like the world, we don't fall apart. Ten years from now, I'm not still crying over the loss of my daughter. September will be one year, she's been gone. I'm not still up in the air, you know, about, she's gone. I can function. I can think about her and tell God, thank you, because I know she's in his arms. But I think many times parents don't know where their children went because they saw the life that their children was living. So they just distraught. But listen, the script even says, if you go to hell, Louis, he, he can come and get you out of hell. Did you know that? He can come and get you. So my prayer, if I didn't know where my child went, or my loved one went, I would be asking God, God, would you please go get them? I'm your servant. I obey you to the best of my ability. Lord, this is my family member. This is my seed. This is my child. This is my... Lord, please go get them. And give them another chance. You know why I'm saying this? Do anybody remember Lazarus was dead? What was it, four days? (laughs) God went to the grave and called him forth. So, if your loved one dead, you could ask God to go and get them and give them another chance. He didn't give the rich man another chance because it wouldn't have done any good because he knew the very intent of their hearts. But some of our loved ones they missed the mark because they wasn't focused and paying attention. Pray your loved one up out of hell and tell God thank you, Show the power of God not the power of man, not what you think and how you feel it may be. Because when you get there, you if you ever get there, I should say, you're going to find out what you thought wasn't even nothing. If our righteousness is as filthy rags, do you think what we think is something? Only what we do for God is going to last. Somebody wanted to hear this this morning. Somebody needed to hear this about their loved one so that they can make their calling and election sure. So they can come up out of the dungeon so they can face the reality of a real life and be happy again because they haven't been happy since they lost a loved one. But they go to church. They say they read their Bible. They say they're praying. But we have to have a clean heart and let God renew the right spirit within us so that we can accept what he allows. He'll even put in your heart what to pray for. He'll put on your mind what to pray for. He will tell you what to do to get there, but we got to have a relationship with him. We got to have fellowship and commune with him. My sheep know my voice, and a stranger, they will not follow. If you don't know his voice, how do you know when he's speaking? How do you know? You don't talk to him. You don't talk to him. You go to church and you made him some kind of statue or something, but he's not real, really in your life. But we got to know that he's alive and well. The name is Jehovah, the God that has all power. There is no higher power. This is that same God that spoke, let there be light, and light appeared. This is the same God that made the heavens and the earth. This is the same God that so loved the world, the good, the bad, and the ugly, that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believe on him won't perish, but have everlasting life. But we got to believe. Yeah. Yes, sir. You got to believe and and you'll know that God got him. When when you know God got him, you can be at peace. I said, my daughter's resting, but I don't know because she may, he may allow her to get up and do some singing because that's her thing. That was her thing to sing. Had a beautiful voice, too. People would invite her from somewhere everywhere. Come saying she'd go right over there. Never thought about money, none of that. She just enjoyed the gift. Hallelujah. So if we're going to love God, if, if we're really going to let our life honor him, we must be obedient unto his word. Forget about ourselves. Concentrate on him. Worship him in spirit and in truth. Ask God to teach you how to let your flesh die so that his spirit can live in you. Ask him that. Hallelujah. I learned some things when I come to him. After I was at that window talking to him, I thought I was talking in the sky. I just thought I was talking in the air. But I realized later on I was praying. And listen, old sinner Barbara, Barbara the old sinner, Barbara the fornicator. <laughs> Huh? Barbara the dope lady. Barbara the ex-convict. Yeah, that's what they called us, Louis. Huh? Barbara the weed smoker, the crown royal drinker, the Budweiser drinker. Barbara, uh, huh? So look, I didn't know anywhere else to go. I could have called my dad, but I knew my dad couldn't help me. My dad was in Jacksonville. I was in Birmingham, Alabama. He couldn't help me. I know some of y'all heard the songwriter said, I called on my best friend. <laughs> she could not be found. Yeah. What was no need for me to call on my dad. He didn't have the power to fix me. Yeah, he didn't have it. So I decided to give God a try. Oh, and I'm glad. I'm so glad I did. So I'm talking, thinking I'm talking to the sky, but he heard me. And this is what I told him from a sincere heart. I was not joking. Because I had already made my mind up. If I find him, whatever it takes to stay with him is what I'm going to do. I don't care what anyone else does. If I find God, whatever it takes to stay with him, this is what I'm going to do. And I meant just that. So when I said to him, I'm thinking I'm talking in the air. I said, God, I asked that you was real. I want to believe that you're real, but I don't really know. I said, but if you are real, I want to be just as real in you as you are real. That's what I told him. He come. I, I didn't feel it when he came. I didn't feel no lightning bolt, nothing from heaven flashed down on me. I didn't feel any of this. But things begin to come to me, pray. I'm like, okay, what? So I my, my my the side of my bed was my prayer closet. So I kneeled down, Jerry, on the side of the bed and I began to say stuff like. Lord, show me, God teach me, I really want to know your way, I really want to do better, I don't want to continue to live like this, I know there's a better way, but I don't know how to live a better way, and if you don't teach me, I can't do it, if you don't teach me, I don't know, because all I know is what I know, and he already knew what I knew, (laughs) Yeah, he already knew that basically everything I did was according to my flesh. Nothing about his spirit.
1: Yeah. So look. He comes.
0: These are the prayers coming out my mouth. Listen. Lord, let me die so that you can live. These are prayers I'm praying. In other words, let my flesh die so your spirit can live in me, and if your spirit is living in me, then I can obey you. I told you about ever since I was a little girl for the old timers here, I had a gift, but I didn't know that's what it was called, and I didn't know God had gave it to me. I didn't know really what it was, to be honest. Everywhere I went, at a church service, a revival a tent, because back in the day, we did know about this kind of thing. We used to have a Bible under the tent, Brother Goodman and all these people. And so, look, everywhere I went, they would call me out and tell me these things, you know. God going to really use you one day. God called you, some would say God chose you. I, I didn't understand all of that. I was too busy trying to get over, you know, to the weed man or uh, <laughs> And you know hang with the bad girls and that kind of thing i I wasn't considering God like that, but Alabama, when I went to that window and talked to him that day, I didn't know he come changed my whole life changed my entire life the way i think uh the way i i, I my actions. Everything, what I used to like, I didn't care for it anymore. It was like, ooh, it was grief. Ugh. Oh, I didn't want it no more. I used to enjoy clubbing. Uh-huh. I used to enjoy going in, you know, having the drink set up to the table and dancing and talking and meeting guys. And, yeah, I used to enjoy all of that. I would dance all night long. Every man came and held his hand out to be the dance. I got up and I danced. I, I, I used to love money. The scripture said for the love of money is the root of all evil. Because if you love it, there's nothing too slimy and low down and dirty for you to do to get money. All of that changed. I, I wanted to come from a world of, you know, $25,000 a day, you know, $100,000.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: All of that just went out the window. That was no longer the thought. If I had 15 cents after I met Jesus, I was grateful. I, I didn't care any longer for the house on the hill with the dog named Fluffy. I didn't need that anymore. I, I didn't need a Mercedes a uh, electric I I I I didn't I didn't need it
1: that that wasn't
0: the ideal world for me anymore. Um I, I no longer needed Theon nail polish. I, I I didn't need the latest fashions. I didn't have to see what Janet Jackson was wearing or anybody else was wearing. I used to like women more because of the different color hair and the the different color outfits, you know. I no longer needed to follow those patterns of those kind of people because I became a new creature in him. I had met Jesus. And once I met Jesus, I could not remain the same. It was impossible for me to stay that same old Barbara and I had met the Savior of the world. I had received him. I asked him to come into my heart and live forever. I told him I wanted to be just as real in him as he was real. I meant it. I meant it with my whole heart. And whatever it took, if I had to put a rope around my arm to remember him, that's what I would have done. If I had to wear a turban on my head to remember, whatever it took, I was serious. And whatever it took to please him, this is what I wanted to do. It didn't make me perfect. It made me strive. It made me strive for perfection. This is what it made me do. The more of him I got, the more of him I wanted. It was like a deep thirst. You couldn't imagine unless you'd been there and done that. A deep thirst. I I, I would wake up in the morning and get my children off the school. And after I get them off the school, well, Stanley may come by, might be might come by, one of them coming by. You know what I'm saying? We he may bring breakfast, we have breakfast, laugh and talk and fornicate. Okay. But after I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I couldn't wait to get them kids out of there off the school. Because now I have time, because I worked at night. Now I have time to sit down and get in that word first thing in the morning, fresh. Now I got time while making up beds and scrubbing the bathrooms and all of this in the house. I have time to sing praises unto God. And people started calling me. Hey, can you do my taxes? Hey, can you come and write this letter? Hey, can you come and type this for me? Can you show me how to work the computer? I had a business and didn't know I had it. And and I would do somebody taxes, and they would say, well, look, I'm going to give you this. And they would pay me good. Oh, you showed me how to work that on the computer. I'm going to give you $50. I was so happy, so grateful. Because I was no longer the old Barbara. I became a new creature in him. I often think about it and I say you became a lady where before you was a female, you was a woman. But today you become a lady. You became a lady. And a lady just don't carry herself any old kind of way. Because that old barber carried herself any kind of way. She wore, uh, If I felt like walking out the door with a see-through dress on with no slip, because back in the day we wore slips, you could see straight through the dress. The men could see the silhouette. Okay, well, here it is. That's what I want to do. I'm doing it. It don't matter who like it and who don't. I'm doing it. Yeah. Uh, I could cuss anywhere. I think I could have cussed that church. I didn't have nothing to keep me from cussing that church until I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior, until I received the Spirit of God. Once I received the Spirit of God, I could no longer do these crazy things. Shame come in. You don't want to disappoint God with your behavior and look what he's done for you. I often remember that he, hey, glory, that he suffered for me. He didn't have to do it, but he did. He suffered for me. He went out to the garden and he said, Lord, pass this cup from me. But not my will; nevertheless, your will be done. And he went on, and he did it for me. He suffered, he hung, he bled, he died, went down in hell, conquered all, the rose with all power, with Barbara in mind, with you in mind. So I don't, I, 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 didn't, I don't, I not want to do him in any kind of way, and I still don't, because he's the God of my life. Jesus is the Lord of my life. Jehovah is the God of my life. This is the good God. This is the holy God. This is the righteous God. He don't do just any and every old thing, any and every old kind of way. He gave us a pattern to follow. He inspired men to write his words so that we would have a road map, a way to go. And many times we hear Wide is the road that leads to destruction, and it's crowded. It's so crowded, they bump it into each other. But narrow is the road that leads to him, and few there be. It's not crowded. It's not a whole lot. But every now and then we're pass one on that narrow road. He didn't have to make the road so wide that leads to him because there wasn't going to be a lot of people that run to him. Not everybody is going to belong to him. Not everybody I know it disturbs some people so bad that they family member God couldn't draw him. He wouldn't draw him. He didn't draw him. But guess what? He drew you. It's an individual walk with him. But we get our kind of sidetracked. We even look at our future and. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Take no thought for tomorrow. It'll take care of itself. It's enough evil going on today. You don't have to worry about that. He told us, look at the lilies of the field. They don't work nowhere. They don't toil nowhere. But have you ever seen anything as beautiful as a lily? It tells us that a lily is more beautiful than all that that Solomon had. And we know Solomon was the richest man. Oh, this boy went everywhere and got all kind of exotic bits and uh, stuff no one else had saw but that lily is <laughs> more beautiful than anything Solomon ever could have found and the lily don't work nowhere, God provides for the lily and he will provide for us and we just must accept the providing that he does for us because he's a provider my lord, I, I wanted a Mercedes, you-, you gave me a Toyota are you crazy? That's what you need, the Toyota, because God can fly me. He didn't give you the Benz because you'd have got yourself in trouble. He didn't give you the Bentley. You'd have got yourself in trouble. Two cars I always thought I loved. That Jaguar <laughs> and the Rolls Royce. Yeah. Look like to me the way they made the Jag. It was just sleek and beautiful. And then the, 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 the cat sit up on the end of the hood, that that just did it for me. The Rolls Royce, the way the doors open out and the shape of it, it did it for me. The, those were the two cars that really I, I really thought maybe I could enjoy. But when I found out what I needed in a car, I went to God for the need, and He gave me the needed car. I needed a SUV that I could carry stuff. Uh, I could take over-the-counter medications to local low-income clinics, aspirins, Tylenol, uh, uh, alcohol, uh, what they could, peroxides, toothpaste, toothbrush, and stuff like this. And I needed room in the back to put the boxes because I wouldn't just stop at one clinic. Maybe I had three or four to go to, and I needed enough stuff to carry. So when I prayed and asked about the car, that's what he gave me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Not, not the Bentley, because it wouldn't have worked for me. <laughs> like the Jaguar, wouldn't have been enough room. That wouldn't have worked for me. But that Toyota, RAV4, whether it's a 2010 or 2015, it worked perfect. We have to accept what God allowed. It, it, it'll work better for us. And we gotta stop looking at other people, wanting what other people got. Go to the Lord for yourself for what you want, and tell Him mainly about your needs. Cause some things we think we want when we get them, we don't want them. I'm raising my right hand right now. I'm a living witness. I've asked the Lord for things, and it wouldn't work against me or against Him, and He gave it to me. But once I got it, I was like, Lord, I don't want this. I'm sorry you would take this back. I don't need it. He would take it away. Or he would bless me to give it to somebody else. The day that we set our mind to God for real, God, I live. God, I die. I want to die so your spirit can live in me. I only want to obey you. I want to be yours. I want to do what's pleasing and acceptable unto you and mean it from a sincere heart, that's the day you're going to experience God like you've never experienced him before. He's coming. Look, I can pray for uh, 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 Sister Dot. Lord, I need you to give Dot a healing, God. Lord, I need you to, I'm going to plant a seed for Dot that, Lord, you give her. $100,000. A $100,000. Lord, give it to her. You may not hear nothing. But the day I say, Lord, fix us to die hard and regulate her mind. Father, she want more of you. She's serious about your business. Father, her flesh is weak. But well, we know your, your, your spirit is indeed willing, but her flesh is weak. Strengthen her in this hour. A surge gonna come for Dot. Dot gonna start doing things she don't had normally been doing. She loved the Lord and she bit, but other things gonna come to her. That's spiritual. Because he, he will answer spiritual prayer quicker than anything I ever known. He answered the prayer for the natural man because he made us. And he know we're natural. But when we pray for spiritual things, God move quick. Hallelujah. I'm grateful unto him this morning. I'm thankful unto him. There's none like him. I can search all over. I can't find nobody. Nobody greater than him. Hallelujah. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful. So, look, we're going in with one request this morning, the first song request. And uh, after this one, when we come back, we're going to play our first testimony. And today we're going in with John MacArthur, and uh, he's teaching uh, living in a perverse world, living in a perverse world. And if I'm not mistaken, he's coming out of Philippians chapter 2. And so we want to pay attention to him when he brings the message of the day, because this is important stuff that I'm bringing Yeah, these things are very important because we daily prepare for the return of Jesus. He's coming back. And see, our greatest problem is this. We don't know when. We don't know the day nor the hour. He didn't tell us. He said the Father know that. And the Father was sharing that kind of information with us. So it's best we get our house in order daily daily we make our calling and election sure with him. It goes beyond just a little prayer and a little, you know, reading of a scripture. I have what they call morning devotion. And after that, I still got to have Jesus. So I still got to talk to him. And, and I'm going to tell you something that y'all may think is strange. I go to bed at night praying, thanking him for the day and, what he did throughout the day, taking self-inventory, did I hurt somebody's feelings, did I gossip, did I say something I shouldn't have said, you know, that kind of thing. And sometimes the Lord will just allow me to just go right on out to sleep, no more talking. Next morning, the same thing. But during the day, he won't be coming. During the day, because I got to come for you. I got to come for you. I got to come for him. I got to pray for her. I got to for this child. I got to pray for that child. I see things on the internet. Man ought to always pray and not think. Pray without ceasing. We always, if you retire, you always got a, a, a time when you can pray. Unless you committed yourself back to something. But there are always things to pray for. I, I really, I've been more involved with people in the last few months. And I I used to take all that time and give it to God, but now, you know, people have come. So he used me to be a blessing to people because he knows the mind of everybody. He knows the very intent of our hearts. Yeah. But if we knew in Jesus, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Listen, this is if you met him. I don't know anyone who ever really met Jesus and remained the same. Even Zacchaeus up in that tree. Remember him? He was too short. Everybody getting a chance to see him and Zacchaeus said, hold up one minute. I'm going to climb this tree. I'm going to get me some Jesus. I'm going to get to see him. Invited him to dinner. See, because God know who's seeking him. God know who, hey, glory to his majesty. God knows who really wants him. And who's going to make him the God of their lives? He's going to get the first fruit of everything about you. He already know. He already know. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I'm grateful. Uh, Sister Jerry, last night we had some severe weather over here. I don't know if y'all got it. Or old Keller got it. So I, I, I assume it was throughout Florida. And uh, Brother Louis told me that over in Kentucky is flooding and 30 people dead and hundreds still missing. So we want to pray for the flooding and pray for the missing people that they are found alive and not dead. So intercessors, I need y'all praying for this with me, if you would. Hallelujah. Brother Louis say they, um, I think they took the stitches out of Sherry's. On the other day, and he said she's doing okay. So we thank God for that because we've been praying that Sherry would heal and heal properly this time and that everything goes well for her. Hallelujah. God is faithful. God is faithful. And so we thank for the least little thing. We thank him. He's worthy because he don't have to do it. Oh, yet I believe he did. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So let's go to this one. And then we're coming back with the first testimony of the morning. Hallelujah, I love that song right there, Mr. Russ Taff. And uh, I just like the style of it Maybe because I come out the era of the 60s So maybe that's what it is, but I do And I like the words uh, to this particular song It has always blessed me uh, to hear this And uh, I'm grateful that I can change us from the inside And it will show on the outside if God change your heart, when I tell you, it's going to show on the outside. Yeah, I couldn't leave home to go to work in the evenings without a gold shoe. Yeah, they let me wore slides. I was a building manager. So they let me wore these slides. I could just slip my feet in. I had all kind of styles, but all in gold. This kind of gold, that kind of gold. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Yeah. But when God come in, he changed all of that. Yeah, he set me free. And it showed on the outside. You know, the way I used to wear my hat, it was wild. I had blue and black. Yeah, I was loose braid. Oh, it was crazy. And I would have the front and an afro and the back with braids hanging down. I'm telling you, weird. But when he come in, he set the record straight within me. If you're going to wear an afro, wear afro because see now he's given me power, love and a sound mind a sound mind and once he gave me a sound mind if I was going to wear afro I wore afro if I was going to wear braids I wore braids if I was going to wear the finger waves I was wore... one thing on my whole head that matched and came out nicely and made me look like a human being not like I was from outer space or alien or, yeah, weird. He fixed all of that in me. And today I'm a new creature. In I don't need all of that anymore. Because that was to validate something to the world. And see, with him, I don't have to validate anything. He knew me before I entered my mother's womb. Oh, I feel all right right there. Amen goes right there this morning. <laughs> I'm excited right there. And he's good. He's good. He's good. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. He will never leave you, nor forsake you. He will go all the way with you until the end. But you got to know it. You got to allow it. You got to have a relationship. You got to really get to know him. All of us that start with him, it starts with faith. Because those of us that come to him, we must believe. That's the first key. Believing is the first key. I believe God heard me. I believe he's in me. I believe he was saved me. I believe he takes care of me. Yeah, we must believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I'm going to scream right over there, right over there, right over there. Must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Let me tell you, in my seeking him, I've been rewarded. Hey, thank you. In my seeking God, hallelujah, I have been rewarded. Not just in the spirit, but in the natural as well. He gave me a sound mind. I'm not on any kind of medication, never been on none, not for my mind. I. I, I <laughs> He, you know, he would tell me, don't go down A Street, go all the way down to H. And I'm thinking, that's a long ways away. And then when you get to H, turn on the first street, it's going to carry you back somewhere that you're closer to your destination. Well, I really didn't want to go way down to H. I was right there at eight. But it just kept coming up strong in me. Go down to H. Don't don't turn down to H. I would go down to H. Later on, I found out over on A Street, there was something terrible taking place right at the time when I would have went down A Street. Oh, but he blessed me. Went down H, took the right turn, and went on to my destination, got there safe and sound. When I returned, I even went another way, a different way, than H Street. God is faithful. God is faithful. And we're always on his heart. He's always thinking of us. And especially if we're fellowshipping and communing with him. Because if his sheep know his voice and a stranger, they will not follow. That means his sheep have been communicated and, and fellowshipping with him. Now, look, if Thelma come this morning and she say, good morning, everybody, you're going to know her voice from mine. Why? Some of you been here 12 years. You've heard my voice every weekday morning. For twelve years, and when I was running seven days a week here, you heard my voice seven days a week right here on Jesus in the morning. So you know my voice. You know the difference between them and I. You know the difference. You know the difference between Jerry and I. As soon as Jerry said good morning, Sister Barbara Lewis said good morning, Sister Jerry. <laughs> Why? He know the difference in the voices, and we must know the difference too. But the only way we are going to know the difference, we must seek His face, turn from our wicked ways. Oh, hallelujah! He's going to hear from heaven, forgive our sins, and heal our land in the name of Jesus. Oh, we thank you today, Lord. We thank you. So look, we didn't pray, did we pray, Brother Lord? I don't remember praying. Yeah, I wanted Pastor to pray this morning, but I don't seem to find him. Maybe I moved him and don't know where I moved him to. But let's pray right quick. And then we're coming with the first testimony. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you this day, Lord, already for all that has been said and done on your behalf. I thank you for my testimonies. I thank you that you've given me more than one. You've given me many. Daily, you give me testimonies that I can testify unto your goodness daily. We thank you this morning for our testimony. Thank you for waking us up, closing our right minds. Father, we thank you for the use and activity of our limbs. We thank you for our life, our health, and our strength. We come before you this morning, bow down humbly, asking today that, Father, you would let this mind be in us. Hey, glory. That was also In your son, Christ Jesus, we come this morning, Father, asking that you would use us, that God, daily, you would use us, give us a heart and a mind to fellowship and commune with you. Help us to talk to you about everything. Father, before we decide something, let us come to you and get your instructions before we make a move in the name of Jesus. Help us not to overthink anything, but help us to trust you with our whole heart and lean not to our own understanding. In all our ways, Father, help us to acknowledge you. You're going to direct our path. Help us not to be wise in our own eyes. Father, help us to fear you and depart from evil this day in the name of Jesus. Lead and guide us in the right path today for your name's sake. Father, help us to take self-inventory. Help us to go back to the old path and take a look around where we first received you. Our Lord, help us to grow daily in you. Hallelujah. And help us to remember to prepare daily for your return, for your coming back looking for your church without spot or wrinkle. Help us today, oh God, to get the spots and the wrinkles out of us, will your church. And help us to hold up the blood-stained banner. Help us to be that candle that sit on a hill that can't be hid. Help us, Lord, to be more serious about you than anything else, more serious about your word than anything in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you today. Bless every caller and every listener here, those coming through the podcast and the archives. Father, bless their families and bless their friends. Move for these, your people today. You know what they stand in in need of. All of those that have planted seeds, God, I ask today that you would move upon their seed like never before. Bring a harvest forth that would bless them and their families, that, God, they would have much to give to others in the name of Jesus. Help us not to forget, Lord, to love one another, not down one another, talk about one another, beat one another, but God, help us to love as you love one another in the name of Jesus. Help us to be especially good to the members of the household of faith. Hallelujah. Thank you this morning. So, Father, bless the sick men of Jesus in the morning. Make after God, wherever he may be today, John, bless him, Lord. Strengthen him in his walk with you. Lord, these testimonies, bless these people. Father, continue to let them share the goodness of you with others. For you wish that none should perish. Stir up the gifts in all of us. And, Father, we will talk of your wondrous works and make known your deeds among the people. Heal the sick here today. Bless those that are in every branch of the military, those that are incarcerated, widowers, bereaved families, and accessory prayer people, preachers, Israel, Jerusalem, all our brothers and sisters overseas, America and the leadership of America. Have mercy this morning, O oh God. Let your grace and your mercy, most of all, your love abound. We thank you this morning. We give you glory. We give you honor and praise. We appreciate you this morning. We love you, Father. It was you who first loved us? We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen and hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. We thank you today. Hey, glory, thank you. Thank you for hearing us. Thank you for answering Father, we know that not in our time, but your time. We know that not our will, but your will must be done. And we thankful that you love us today. We thank you that you care for us. We thank you that you're forgiving, kind, and merciful. Oh, we thank you today. We thank you. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for suffering for us. Oh, we thank you for all you've done, his majesty. We bow down before you in hominids this morning, for there's none like you. Hey, we thank you today for your word. All oh, your word is a lamp unto our feet. Father, it's a light unto our path. Forever, oh God, that word is settled already. Hallelujah in heaven. And we thank you this morning. We thank you. We thank you. There's none like you. Oh, we thank you today. Mm. Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We give you glory. Hallelujah. There's none like Him. I could just get lost in the praise you hear today. Hallelujah. He's good to us. Good for us. Hallelujah. We're going to the next testimony.
2: Here. I'm going to just share, you know, over these next 20 minutes uh, about my story and my journey uh, to what's happened, you know, from the beginning to to now. Now, I grew up in in the United States of America in a Hindu-Punjabi family. Now, uh, I've got one uh, fellow Punjabi brother over here. I don't know how many other Punjabis there are here. Uh, But growing up in in that family, uh, I, I was actually quite strong in my Hindu faith, almost more so than my parents. Uh, they were more nominal with the faith, but I was always the one that wanted to, to go to the temples, to, to do the pujas in our homes. I was so committed to the faith to the point that I got OM tattooed on, onto my shoulder, which if any of you want to see it after the event, by all means, you can come and talk to me about it. Uh, but I, I was very committed to the faith. Now, about, when I was about 14 or 15 years old, There was something happening in India, and I don't know if uh, many of you remember this, but there was this huge thing happening where Ganesh was drinking milk from spoons. And people were claiming that, that Ganesh was blessing people. So I got a call from, uh, or my mother got a call from our masis in Mumbai. And, and of course, she and I got very excited. So we went to our, our Munda, We went to, to do our, our puja and do all the different rituals. And, and, my, and we were just super excited to, to go through this process. So my mother puts milk onto the spoon. And we both, you know, get ready for this. We close our eyes and we lift the spoon up to the Ganesh statue. And we just waited and we waited and we waited. And then we opened our eyes. <gasps> And the milk was still in the spoon. So she puts the spoon down. She looks at me and she says, uh, Beta, looks like the gods aren't going to bless us right now. I went to school that day, angry, frustrated, and sad. And I start to ask questions in my mind. Why, why not? What, what is wrong with me? What did I do wrong? What didn't I do right? Why are the gods not going to bless us right now? So on that day I made a decision. Now, there might be a God, there might be God, there might be some sort of supreme being out there. You know, I still believe that, but for me right now, it's irrelevant. It's not that important to me right now. So, in high school, I set a new goal for myself. My new goal was to become popular in school. And there were two ways to do that. One was to party hard, get into drinking, get into drugs, get into all those types of things. So that was one way to get popular. The second way was to become a top athlete in the school. I decided to pursue both. I partied hard. I was one of the biggest party animals in the school. I would dance and become the center of attention, breakdance, all these different things. And I also became one, became one of the top athletes in soccer in my school. So this led me to become one of the popular guys in my school. So then later, I went into university. And then... I wanted to become popular in college. And of course, what did I do then? I actually joined what's known as a fraternity. It's like a, it's like a, a society, like a brotherhood. And what do the, these people do? Well, they party. And I was actually sick of the partying. I didn't want to do that anymore. But I, you know, in order to be popular on campus, I've got to do this, so I did it. And I became popular at my college campus. But I started to get really bored of this. I started to get really bored of the same old partying, the same old conversations. So I decided, I'm going to set a new goal for myself. This time, I want to be successful. I want to make a lot of money. I want to be a business person. That was the new goal I was going to set up for. And we all want that to some degree, right? We want success in our life. Now, it was around this time that I met my future wife. Now, my wife is the daughter of a pastor, I didn't even know what pastor was. When I heard pastor, I thought she was saying pastor like a, like a, like a sheep herder or something. I wasn't, wasn't quite clear on that. But she was a pastor's daughter. Now, she grew up under very challenging circumstances. So she actually kind of went away from the faith to a large extent. She didn't want to have anything to do with the faith. She also wanted to pursue success. So she and I get together, and to seal her fate in this success-driven mindset, she marries the Hindu. So we get married and we start launching different companies together. Now in the beginning we had our, you know, some failures, but by the time I was 22, we launched our first successful multi-million dollar internet company. And a couple in their early 20s, what do you expect them to do when they suddenly you know, achieve success and an abundance of resources? Well, we bought everything we could possibly have ever dreamt of. I started buying fancy sports cars. I started buying jet boats. I started buying different real estate properties. I started buying all kinds of different things. But didn't stop there. I started to show it off to everybody. I started to show it off to my friends, to my family members, to, to the neighbors in our community. I was showing it off to everybody. And very quickly, we became the center of attention. Everyone in our community, everyone in our circles started to look up to us. People twice my age started to look up to me. And once again, I I, I felt like I made it. I did it. I achieved the goal I set out to achieve. But then, I needed a new goal. See, I, I found myself constantly pursuing these different goals. I constantly took the goal marker and started shifting it around. I realized I kept pursuing this because I was never actually satisfied. There was this hunger, this longing that was happening inside me. And I was trying to fill that hunger with my achievements, with my success, with my popularity. And ultimately, I was trying to achieve the filling of this hunger with my performance. But every single time, I was left dissatisfied. I was left unfulfilled. And look, we all go through some form of this. You know, Every time we, we, we hit the goal, every time we reach that, 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 that goal we're going for, we kind of are left with this, well, I don't know, I th- this isn't enough. I want, I want more than this. Or maybe, you know, you feel bored or restless or unfulfilled or you start to question things, well, there's got to be more to life than this. There's got to be something more. I feel like something's missing. Now, for me, every time I went through those moments, I went through what felt like depression or, or a, a strong sense of dissatisfaction or a strong sense of unfulfillment. You see, I realized that a performance-driven lifestyle was filled with exhaustion. It was filled with bitterness. It was filled with frustration and anger and jealousy, and at times, a ready-to-give-up attitude. I realized that this performance-driven lifestyle was leading to a lifestyle of empty promises in my life. Now, it was around this time that my wife, and the community that we were living in, a woman, a neighbor... Invited her to a Bible study. Well, she didn't really want to go, but eventually she, she decided, you know what, she's a friend. I don't, want, I, I don't want to offend her. I'll go. I'll go to the Bible study. And I said, yeah, sure, fine. That's, go for it. So she starts going to this Bible study. And that's when God begins to work in her heart again. And that prompts her to start going to church. So she starts going to church. Then she invites me to church. And that's when, the, whoa, hold on. That's where I draw the line. You can do all these things, but no, no, no. I'm not going to church. Now, at this stage, we had our first two kids. We have three kids, but at this point, we had two kids. And I realized if religion was suddenly going to become a topic of conversation, and if I, want to, if, if I want her to respect my religion, if I want her to come to the temple with me at some point, well, I've got to go to church with her. So I did that. I went a few times. And actually, there was this one service. It was a Christmas service. Big production, you know, performances, dances, this... This whole thing. We go to this service. And actually, my brother and his wife, who happens to be my wife's sister, you guys follow that? Two brothers, married two sisters, Hollywood. Uh, They come with us to to the service. You know, the pastor preaches his message. And at the end of the message, he asks everyone to close their eyes, Bow their heads down, and for those of you who accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, raise your hand high and pray this prayer with me. So of course, I kept my eyes open. I start scanning the room to see what suckers fell for this brainwash. And I look behind me, and I see my brother like this. Oh man, I was furious. I was so angry. I, it was as if he just cheated on his family. He cheated on his roots. He cheated on his religion. Like, how could he do this? So after the service, I didn't tell him how I felt, but after the service, I told my wife, I said, Sarah, if you want to do the Bible study thing and the church thing, by all means, go for it. Feel free. But for me, leave me out of it. I'm done. She said, okay. Think it's over, right? No. A few days go by. It's the middle of the night. She wakes up, and she feels God is speaking to her. She feels God is telling her that a separation is occurring, that she's going in one direction and I'm going in another. So she starts crying out to God, God, what can I do? She feels God say to her, speak to him. Okay, in the morning, I'll talk to him. No, speak to him now. I'm not waking up my husband in the middle of the night. That's a bad idea. I'll just talk to him in the morning. My phone rings. I wake up. I crawl out of bed. God says to her, I've woken him. Now speak to him. No one on the other line of my phone. So she starts talking to me. She starts sharing about how God's working in her life through this Bible study, through church, all these amazing things. Then she tells me how God is telling her that there's this separation occurring. And I lost it. I started yelling at her. I got so angry with her. I just started saying all kinds of nasty things because I thought she was trying to manipulate me into jumping on board with this whole God thing. Otherwise, we're going to end up divorcing. That's not what she was saying, but it's how I was perceiving it. So I just kept yelling and saying all kinds of nasty things to her. And the last thing I said to her, if God is showing you all these things and telling you all these things, then why is he showing me nothing? I'm done with this conversation. I'm going back to bed. So I called back into bed, threw the blanket over me, very angry, very heated, and I'm just like, oh, I can't believe this. And that's when it happened. That's when God began to reveal himself to me through visions. Now keep in mind, I was born and raised in the U.S. We are taught to question everything. We are cynical and skeptical about everything. But God is doing something that I just could not understand. He just starts showing me things. And I won't get into all of the the visions right now, but one of the last things that I saw was was my hand reaching up and an old man's hand reaching down. And as the hands were coming closer and closer together, a gold chain appeared on his wrist. And that chain transferred from his wrist over to mine. And as it did, a gold cross appeared in the center. Now, after the visions were done, I looked up at my ceiling And we had a ceiling fan going as a noisemaker to help us sleep, not for temperature control. But my ears went deaf. I couldn't hear anything. And then I felt this very cool, clean, misty air just hover over me and exit to my left. And when it exited, my hearing came back. And I knew whatever just happened, it was finished. Now, while all that was going on, my wife had no idea. She just got yelled at by me. She's, she's laying in bed crying and crying out to God and she's, she's asking God, God, there's gotta be something we can do. My marriage can't end like this. God, there's gotta be something we can do. I've got plans to, to do th- things for you, God. What can I do? And that's when God spoke to her and said, no, it's not just you, it's Him. That's when God began to reveal to her how He's shifting my heart of stone and turning, softening it to flesh and how he's drawing me to him, and how we'd be moving to India. So she was the first person to get the, the, the insight that we're going to be moving to India. She's not Indian. She's never been to India. So that was a big shock for her. Anyways, fast forward, next few days, we don't really talk. You know, I, I kind of just, you know, I'm, I'm a little freaked out by what happened, and I'm trying to think this through, but eventually I share what happened with her, and this propels me on a journey to figure out for myself what's going on. Who is this God that's talking to me? This is, this is not something I've ever experienced before, but, 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 I, but I believe what it, whatever is happening is real. It's happening. It's, it, it's clearly something of a supernatural. So what is it? Who is it? I started diving deeper into Hinduism, studying the different Vedic scriptures. I started diving into the Quran because really, I want to disprove my wife. I didn't want her to be right. I was trying to disprove that this had anything to do with the, with, with, with the God that she talks about. I was trying to disprove this had anything to do with Jesus, the Bible, or Christianity. But continually, time and time again, as I'm going through this journey over the next few months, God would talk to me in these radical ways. He would do things to, to reveal things to me about people in, 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 different people in my life, about my family members. He would do things to reveal things about myself, about my own heart. There was this one moment. I woke up one morning. And I said, "Okay, God, I want—I I want to know deeply what's going on, but I have a question as well. How do I pray? Like I grew up doing pujas and doing all the different rituals, but but this is different. I don't understand this. So how, how do I even pray? So I decided that morning to drive to the Hindu temple and to get answers. Speak to the pundits and get some answers. So I'm waiting in the queue, and as I'm waiting in the queue, I'm standing next to his library." And I'm looking at the library, and I notice that there's a Bible on the bottom shelf. I'm thinking, why, why is there a Bible in the Hindu temple? So I look at it, and I'm, like, I'm contemplating. I'm thinking, should I touch it? Should I not? I don't want to burn my fingers. I don't want to disobey my, my other gods. Okay, let me, let, me just, let me just look at it. So I pick it up, and there's an OM bookmark in the Bible. I'm like, oh, okay, God's talking to me. This is clear now. There's an OM bookmark. Clearly, he's talking to me. I open up to the bookmark page, and on the top, it says how to pray. And it was the Lord's Prayer, which was mentioned earlier today. So I read the Lord's Prayer, I close the Bible, throw it back on the shelf, and I run back home, and I just start praying. Now, at the time, I was just repeating that prayer over and over again, because I didn't know any better, but I just started praying that prayer. Through this journey, God eventually revealed to me that we'd be moving to India. Didn't know why, didn't know what we were supposed to do, didn't know anything about that just knew we had to go, and I was listening. I, I didn't care about, about our businesses anymore. I didn't care about our possessions anymore. All those things for me became very meaningless. All I wanted to do was follow this God that's talking to me. And he's saying, go to India, I'm ready to go. Just didn't know where. So after a family dinner, I, uh, well, actually on the way to the dinner, I stopped by our office and I told my wife, I'm going to print out a map of India, and somehow on this map God's going to tell us where to go. So we, we, we drive uh, to the dinner, and after the dinner we, we come back, and I just park the car outside. And I stepped out of the car, and I just start praying. Start praying out to God. And I feel that God tells me, go back in the car and pray with your wife. Okay. At the same time, God was telling my wife that Rajiv has not accepted him yet. Which troubled her, because everything I was doing, the way I was acting and talking, everything seemed like I had. So we got in the car, I shared this with her. I told her, you know, what you're hearing is is correct. I'm talking to this, you know, about this God is God, but I never said the name Jesus. Not once did I say the name Jesus. We prayed. I went outside. At this point I am crying. I, I I'm just in this desperate emotional state. And I'm crying out to God and I'm saying, God, what is it you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Just give me some clarity in this. And that's when I looked up at the sky. And I saw a figure come down. Head, shoulders, no facial features. Just this bright white light in the shape of a person. And then I saw two hands come out in front. And the hands spread apart. And when the hands spread apart, I could see millions and millions of people in India. And I heard God say that I love you so much. Now I need you to share my love to the people in India. I need you to proclaim the gospel to the people in India. When I heard that and when I saw that, I realized that this God who's speaking to me, it is in fact Jesus. He is the God, the one and only God, and He's my God. And He loves me, even though I spent my life rejecting Him. Even though, even in those those short few months, while He was speaking to me, I was trying to reject Him. But he loves me, and he loves you, and he wants others to know the truth of what the gospel is, which is this: that we, while we, while God designed us and ideated us in our mind, in His mind, that He has created us in His image. So, in a sense, we are good in that way. But we also inherit sin. We also inherit guilt and shame and condemnation. We also inherit. Corruption. Every good thing we do, everything has been tainted by sin. And we need rescuing. I needed rescuing. He revealed to me the issues of my own heart. Why I was pursuing success, why I was pursuing popularity, why I was pursuing all those things, is because I wanted people to worship me. I want, I wanted the glory. But when I see that God is... Is a God who is personal? A God who communicates? I realized how small I was. Yet at the same time, how special I was in His eyes. So special that He would send His Son Jesus to die on my behalf and be raised again so that I could actually have a new, renewed, transformed life. You see, as I look back in my life, I realize that all those pursuits... Like I said, it we're we're, we're, was my way for others to worship me, to elevate myself. But today, all I want to do is elevate Jesus in the eyes of people. All I want to do is help others see that the, the thing we, we long for, the thing that, that we're hunting for, that we're searching for, that fills that void, is fulfilled in Jesus. Like I said earlier, li- living this performance-driven lifestyle It led to a life of empty promises. But living a Christ-centered lifestyle leads to fulfilled promises. Living a Christ-centered lifestyle leads to a life of peace, power, and purpose. Jesus is the true source of peace and power and purpose. With Jesus, we have stability knowing who we are what we were made for, knowing that nothing can ever change the fact that, that, we won't ever, that we will never, ever be separated from God from now and forever. So we can have peace in that. We can have stability in that. And that brings about an energizing power in our life. Not the kind of worldly power that we try to search for through our success and achievements, but a godly power that, that, that inculcates everything in our entire being. And then from there, we get to live out our true purposes, the purposes that God designed us for in the first place. So I leave you with that. I leave you with the fact that my life was transformed from a performance-driven lifestyle to a Christ-centered lifestyle, leading me to le- live a life of peace, power, and purpose that can only come from the true creator and redeemer of the world, Jesus Christ. Thank you.
3: Well, uh, all good things must end, huh? So we we come to the final time tonight, and I feel like I want to see if I can't maybe pull everything together for us as we talk about a Christian worldview. I don't really need to rehearse what's going on in the world. You know that. It's inescapable. You you don't need uh, information about the disappointments in our culture, the disappointments in our world. You don't need to know that everything is upside down. Uh, As in Isaiah chapter 5, bitter has been swapped with sweet and good has been swapped with bad. And uh, we're we're living in an inverted and upside down world. But I want to give you a perspective biblically uh, so that you can understand what's going on. And the first thing I want to say is you have to understand this. What is happening in our country and largely in our world? Is a divine judgment. I just want you to mark that in your mind. It is a divine judgment. Joe Biden is not in charge of this. God is. And uh, our Congress and our Senate and uh, the people who run this uh, nation, whoever's behind the Wizard of Oz pulling the strings, (laughs) does not have the final sovereign say over this nation or over any nation in the world. We are experiencing the judgment of God on our nation. It's not as if we're waiting for it. It's not as if it's nearby. We're in the middle of this judgment. And I, I want to show you that by having you open your Bible to Romans chapter 1. And this is just an introduction for you. But how do you know when a nation is under judgment? How do you know? Can you be sure? And the answer to that is uh, you can know and you can be certain. And I'll show you how. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Any uh, nation, any association of human beings that constitute a culture, if they turn away from the truth in unrighteousness, will receive the wrath of God. Now, the wrath of God comes in many forms. There is um, eternal wrath, that's hell. There is eschatological wrath, uh, that, that would be all of the expressions of wrath in the book of Revelation. Uh, all the judgments that fall on the earth that you know of in the time of the tribulation, that's eschatological wrath. Our Lord talked about that in his uh, sermon on the second coming in Matthew 24 and 25. So there's the eternal wrath, eschatological wrath. There's a kind of a cataclysmic wrath. Um, massive um, earthquakes, uh, massive floods the most massive being the Genesis flood where God literally drowned the entire human race with the exception of one family. Uh, There is sowing and reaping wrath whatever you sow you reap there are consequences to sinful behavior that are built into that sinful behavior. So there there are many aspects of the wrath of God and it works inexorably it works inevitably and it works justly But there's another kind of wrath, and that's what's being talked about in Romans 1. This is the wrath of abandonment. This is the wrath of abandonment. This is historical. In Acts 14, the Bible says, God allowed all the nations to go their own way. The history of the world is the history of nations going their own way and consequently experiencing the wrath of divine abandonment. And that is what is in view in Romans 1.18, the wrath of God revealed from heaven "...against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse." This is the perfect place on the planet to to connect with that, right? Right? God, by His creation, has put Himself on display to the degree that His eternal power and divine nature are manifest, and anyone who rejects Him is without excuse. And men do, and nations do, and cultures do, and that's the cycle of human history. Even though they knew God, verse 21, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks because they became empty in their speculations, their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible men and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling things. They'll substitute anything for the true God, including animals, idols of all kinds. So what you have here is the wrath of God unleashed all the time through human history upon every people that suppress the truth in unrighteousness, the truth concerning God which may be known by the creation, and chapter 2 of Romans says, by the law of God written in the heart. So they're also without excuse. They reject what is revealed. They know there must be a God. They don't honor Him. They don't give thanks. They become empty in their understanding, and their foolish heart is darkened. They profess to be wise, but they are actually fools and they exchange the the incorruptible God for some other deity of their own making. Then verse 24 is the key. Therefore, what happens when a nation abandons God? Therefore, God gave them over. This spells out what this wrath is. God gave them over. Now remember, this is historic. This is not looking at the future. This is looking at history. God gave them, past tense over, in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. When this wrath goes into place, the first thing you'll see is a sexual revolution. When God abandons a culture, you will see them sink to a low level of lust and impurity and the dishonoring of their bodies. The first thing that happens when a nation is under judgment is a sexual revolution. Verse 25 says, reminding us why it happened, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So look back to 1970, 1980, and remember when the sexual revolution began. That was step one in the abandonment of this society by God Himself. Step two comes in verse 26. For this reason, again looking back at verse 25, because of their rejection of God, for this reason God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. Verse 27, in the same way also the men abandoned their natural function of the woman, burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts, and receiving in their own person the due penalty of their error. When God abandons a society, the first thing that happens is a sexual revolution, inevitably followed by a homosexual revolution. And you have it described in verses 26 and 27. And interestingly enough, it starts with the female side of that and lesbianism, because when God abandons a nation, the instinct, the strongest human instinct there is, the instinct of women... Mothering their children is perverted. This is that severe a blow, this level of judgment on human culture and human society. And then you have the male homosexuals in verse 27, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. There's an immediate penalty, and you would remember it as the AIDS epidemic. It's built in. It's a venereal disease that is built in because that kind of behavior will have built in its own punishment as well as being evidence of the abandonment of God. And why does this happen? Because they didn't see fit to acknowledge God any longer. Verse 28, they, they keep going back, these verses, to the reason. They rejected God, they rejected God, they rejected God. First, there's a sexual revolution followed by a homosexual revolution, verse 26 and 27. Then look at the middle of verse 28. Here's step three. God gave them over to a depraved mind. A depraved mind is a mind that doesn't function. Uh, sometimes it's translated a reprobate mind. But the Greek word means non-functioning. That's when you're a man and you think you're a woman. It's a kind of insanity. And, and it's an insanity that is such an insanity, it, it begs the issue of reason to even think people would do this. The reason people are doing it is because they are under divine judgment. God has let them have a reprobate mind. So when you see all of this transgender Activity. and when you see them want to make laws to protect transgender identity and you know it is absolute and total and utter insanity, you know we've reached the reprobate mind. People can't think reasonably, which means there's no way back to sanity. There's no way back. And because it is a divine judgment on them, God doesn't interrupt the course of their thinking down this path of sexual revolution, homosexual revolution, to the kind of insanity that we see with transgenderism. I used to wonder what in the world the reprobate mind could be, but we're living in the middle of it. It is insane, it is irrational, it is ridiculous, and yet it is so strongly in our culture That the society and its leaders are making laws to protect the people who are absolutely insane. That's the reprobate mind. So this is judgment. This is judgment. And out of that depraved mind, what are you going to get? Well, you're going to get, verse 29, all kinds of unrighteousness, all kinds of wickedness, all kinds of greed, evil envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, that's the Greek word kakia, which means generic, general evil, gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. So what is that? That's what you see every day on the news. That's just the way people are That's the way they live. And verse 32 says they know the ordinance of God. Look at our nation. There's not not a, a, a dearth of reality or truth. This nation was really founded with the knowledge of the Word of God, the Bible. It's had it in its entire 200 plus years. They know the ordinance of God. They also know that in the ordinance of God, those who practice such things are worthy of death, but they not only do the same, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. You have a president who is a Roman Catholic and who is advocating the insanity at the third level of divine judgment as if this is normal. What you see in our country is the unfolding of the judgment of God in Romans chapter 1. So mark it down. There is no group of senators or congressmen or anybody else who is going to reverse this. This is not reversible. This is divine judgment. Now, in the middle of that, you might be saying to yourself, "Um, I hope the Lord remembers His people in the midst of this. I hope He doesn't get so carried away with judgment that He misses us. And that reminds me of the end of the very last book in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. This is a word of comfort. God is promising judgment from the prophet Malachi, and uh, in verse 16 of Malachi 3, we read this, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. Here we are in the middle of this talking to each other and saying, what's going to happen? What's going to happen in the future? And that was exactly what the people of Malachi's time were saying. What's going to happen? And the Lord gave attention and heard it. I love this. A book of remembrance was written before Him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem His name. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts on the day that I prepare my own possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve Him. God has a book, and in that book are the people who belong to Him. And none of them are going to get washed up in the judgment. This is important because we have to understand, people, that we are living in a Romans 1 world of judgment. This is how it is. But we are His. We are His own possession. For behold, the day is coming burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff, and the day that is coming will set them ablaze. Now you're looking at eschatological judgment, so that it will leave neither root or branch. But for you who fear My name... The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. You will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. What day is that? The day that Christ returns to establish His kingdom. It will be a day of fire and judgment, but the Lord knows those who are His. And we are safe because our names are written in his book. So, with that as an introduction to our thoughts, how are we to live in this world, knowing we are secure and knowing at the same time that we're living in a culture under judgment? To answer that question, I want you to look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And just a few verses to consider. I don't know how many we'll be able to cover tonight. I can't see a clock, and that's a benediction on my soul. But So I just want you to come down to verse 15, and let's, let's begin there. Philippians chapter 2 says, "...so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you appear as lights in the world holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. This is a very, very important portion of God's Word. We are described as blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom we appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. Now I just want to pose three questions here. Um, Where are we? Who are we? And how are we to live? Where are we? Look at verse 15. Where are we? We are in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And this was true, actually, in the case of the Philippians when this letter arrived in Philippi. Philippi was a city in Greece in northeast Macedonia. Uh, along the Ignatian Highway, which was a a Roman trade road. So it was a town that basically had to absorb people going both directions. It was somewhat cosmopolitan. It was on the Strymon River, which also allowed for some some concourse to move on the water. So it was a a strategic place. There were gold mines, by the way, in the Philippi region. And those gold mines attracted Philip of Macedon. Philip II of Macedon was the father of Alexander the Great. And he was drawn to this place because it was strategic in terms of trade and because of the gold mines. So he annexed the region. In other words, he drew it to himself as as part of his Greek empire. And he fortified a small town at the time. The small town was known as Crenides. Just a small town. Crenides means... The Little Fountain. It had natural springs. And uh, after he took over that town and fortified it, he renamed it Philippi. So it's named after Philip of Macedon, the Greek pagan. The Romans then conquered, when the Romans conquered the Greek empire, the Romans conquered Philippi in the second century B.C., and it became still known as Philippi. Roman conquering turned it into a Roman province. In 42 B.C., and this is kind of an interesting historical footnote, 42 B.C., one of the greatest battles in Roman history was fought there. It was a battle with some very familiar figures. It was called the Battle of Philippi, and the forces of Uh, Antony, Mark Antony, and Caesar, 110,000 men, defeated the forces of of Brutus and Cassius, who had 90,000 men, 40,000 casualties, and it was a bloodbath. The battle actually marked the end of the Roman Republic and the beginning of the Roman Empire. At that point, Philippi was largely settled by soldiers who were the roughest and toughest and most sinful and gross of uh, people in a culture very often. Many soldiers settled there. The citizens were given full Roman status. It became a pagan, idolatrous, crooked, and perverse place. The Lord led Paul to Philippi to establish the first church in Europe on his second missionary journey. And the story about that is in the 16th chapter of Acts. And it starts out with Paul being thrown in jail, right? You know the story of the Philippian jailer. The believers there were desperately poor. Uh, They're actually described in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, That's a familiar text, but I'll just give you a little bit of insight into the condition of the people in Philippi by reading a few verses out of that 8th chapter. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that's where Philippi was, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. They were profoundly poor, even the believers, but at the same time they were extremely generous. They were also persecuted. If you go back into chapter 1, Of Philippians, you see in verse 27, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but salvation for you. So that introduces us to the fact that they had strong opposition In fact, chapter 3, verse 2 says they even had Jewish opposition from the dogs, the evil workers, and the false circumcision. Down in verse 18, it says, Many walk, of whom I have often told you and now tell you weeping, they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse 18. Then verse 19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. You know how base a society is when it's proud of what is the most shameful of its conduct. To boast about your shame. This is Philippi. There there was also a measure of disunity in the church. Chapter 4, Paul says, My beloved brethren, whom I long to see my joy and crown in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Yodia and I urge Syneche to live in harmony in the Lord. Get those two women to quit fighting, he says. Back in chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, If there's any consolation or encouragement, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, doing nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Don't look out for your own personal interest, but for the interest of others. So there's a lot going on. There's paganism, there's corruption, there's evil, and uh, there's persecution, and there's division in the church. So Paul writes this letter from Rome in the fourth year of his Roman imprisonment. He's waiting Nero's verdict on his life. In spite of all that I've said, Philippians is known as the epistle of what? Of joy. The epistle of joy. And Paul calls for them to be joyful as they live in this crooked and perverse generation. Now by the way, that could be a description in in general of the, the whole world. In Matthew 17, 17, Jesus said about Israel, you unbelieving and perverted generation. Even Israel was labeled in the same way, you perverted generation. I guess we could just sum it up by saying that's how the world is. It is crooked and it is perverted. Crooked is scolios from which we get scoliosis, the curvature of the spine. It means to be bent or twisted, to be uh, deviating from the standard. This is nothing new. This deviation from the divine standard, you you remember, I know, Proverbs chapter 2 and... uh, Verse 11, wisdom and discretion will guard you and understanding will watch over you to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who delight in doing evil and rejoice in the perversity of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. This, um, this idea of being crooked and perverse describes that natural human depravity which distorts and twists every sinner. In fact in Proverbs 21:8 it says the way of the guilty man is crooked. Isaiah 59:8 says they've made their paths crooked. Perverse is diastrepho it, it means to distort. So anywhere you go in any city or any group of people, you have people who are crooked, distorted, bent, out of shape. And Paul was, was really drawing that description of Philippi from the history of Israel. And Jesus also reiterated it in, as I said, Matthew, and it also is repeated in the ninth chapter of Luke. So we have to understand that in general, man is perverse and distorted the term generation is the idea of a nation those who are alike the uh, the similarity of people in a nation is not the color of their skin it's not their mutual ethnic history the similarity of people in any nation is that they are crooked and perverse they are wicked And you can go to Romans chapter 3. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understands. There's none that seeks after God and so forth. They all have the poison of asps under their lips. This is the world we live in. So the first question is, where are we? And the answer is, we are exactly where the Lord wants us. We're exactly where He wants us. We're in a crooked and perverse nation. And beyond that, we're in a nation that is, according to Romans 1, under judgment. And it is manifestly obvious because we've progressed from a sexual revolution to a homosexual revolution to the insanity of a brain and mind that doesn't even think straight so that we protect people who don't even know what reality is. Did something go wrong? No. Everything is exactly the way it's supposed to be. This is how the world is supposed to be. This is how judgment works. And we're seeing it as clearly as we ever could have seen it. And we are exactly where God wants us to be. I know you feel like bailing out. I've had people say, well, I'm going to move to Canada. I just talked to a lady when I was getting a bite to eat earlier, and she said, all the Canadians are coming here. And I said, the Canadians are coming here? Yes, it's worse there. Well, where are you going to hide? What's next? Mexico? You are exactly where God wants you to be. This is where we belong. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 I'm not asking you to avoid the immoral people in the world. We're not supposed to run from them. Listen to verses 9 and 10 of 1 Corinthians 5. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral people, but I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. No, actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he's an immoral person or covetous or idolater or reviler or drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such one. No, it's what we talked about in the Q&A in the last session. But no, you're not to leave the world. This, This is exactly where the Lord put you. So remind ourselves we're exactly where we should be. Everything is exactly the way the Bible describes it in a nation under judgment. So that's where we are. The second question is, who are we? And um, that answer is very explicit here as well. We are described in verse 15 As children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, and we also are described as lights in the world. So, we are given two designations. First, we're children of God. This is a very, very clear separation from the crooked and perverse nation, and to see the. The real foundation of Paul's thinking there, you go back to the eighth chapter of John's gospel, where our Lord makes that familiar distinction, verse 42 of John 8, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, these are the Jewish leaders who are saying God is their father, he says, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? Is it because it is because you cannot hear my word? Why? You are of your father who? The devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. What do you expect people to do if they're the children of the devil? To behave in a devilish way. Everything is as you would expect it to be. He was a murderer. You say, why are they murdering babies? Because they're the children of the devil who was a murderer from the beginning. Why don't they ever tell the truth? Because they're children of the devil, and the devil doesn't stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. He's a liar and the father of lies. So you expected them to tell you the truth? You expected them to be the people of the truth? You expected them to be protectors of life? No, no. This culture under judgment uh, really doesn't care if babies are killed, doesn't care if old people die, it doesn't care if people are untreated uh, for a virus and die languishing without treatment because they simply reflect the nature of their father. You're not going to change that. You're just not going to change that. In fact, uh, when you do speak the truth, He says, because I speak the truth, you do not believe Me. Did you understand that? Because I speak the truth, you do not believe Me, here's the issue, they have no capacity to believe the truth. They have no ability to believe the truth. They are blind by their own fallenness. They are double-blind by Satan, who has blinded the minds of those who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel should shine unto them. There are multiple layers of blindness. They cannot see. They cannot understand. That's Ephesians 4. Uh, They have no understanding. They are cut off from the life of God. They're defined by ignorance. They're defined by hard-heartedness. They're defined by unbelief. And they're defined by chasing after every imaginable and unimaginable impurity with greed. Verse 47, he says, He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them because you're not of God. Do you understand why it's difficult to speak the truth to this generation? They don't have the capacity to understand it. Until they are regenerated, until they are brought from the darkness to light, until they are delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son, Colossians 1, they have no capacity for the truth, to even understand the truth at all. So this is the condition of the world that we're in. Under judgment, crooked and perverse, and utterly unable to hear and believe the truth because their nature is the nature of their Father and it is murderous and it is deceptive. We on the other hand are the children of God. But as many as received Him, He gave the right to be called the children of God, John 1:12, right? Romans 8, Galatians 4, Romans 8 says we've been adopted as sons, Galatians 4, no longer a slave, but a son. And because we are the children of God, we know the truth, we hear the truth, we believe the truth, we love the truth, we live the truth, we fight for the truth, we proclaim the truth. 1 John 3.10 says, By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who doesn't practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who doesn't love his brother. Not only is there a difference in the ability to receive the truth, when you're a child of God you can receive it, but also necessarily and consequentially you live it. You live it. Probably the most common question that I get is, how do I know I'm a Christian? And sometimes people are trying to reach back and remember whatever they felt at some moment when they prayed a prayer, walked an aisle, uh, felt an emotional attachment to Jesus. They think their salvation is based on something that happened in the past. No. How do you know you're a Christian? You know you're a Christian when righteousness is the pattern of your life. You used to be a slave of sin. Now you're a servant of righteousness, Romans 6. It's the transformation that is the evidence. Where there's no transformation, there's no salvation. Faith without works is dead. That's why you hear Jesus say, By their fruits you shall know them. Good trees produce good fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit. 1 John 3, 1 says, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, listen, for this reason, the world doesn't know us because it doesn't know him. So understand this. We are aliens in this world, a world under judgment. A world that cannot know God, has no desire to know God, has no faculty to accept the truth, can't understand who we are, sees us as an impediment to the freedom of their transgressions and wants to get us out of the way so that nobody is questioning their sinfulness. But we know we're the children of God. Why do we know that? Because Romans 8.16 says the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. How does the Spirit testify to us? Not a whispering in our brain. The Spirit testifies to us that we're the children of God by producing in us love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. That's the attitude fruit of the Spirit that results in the action fruit of the Spirit. If you have some kind of religious action without religious attitude or spiritual action without spiritual attitude, that's legalism. Genuine spirituality starts with the attitude, the fruit of the Spirit, and shows up in the behavior. So you know the Spirit is testifying that you belong to the Lord when your life is marked by the fruit of the Spirit and the love of the truth. Love of the Lord, the truth written, and the truth incarnate. So, we are children of God, and as such, we are in complete alienation from the world around us. So, we are exactly where God wants us to be, and we are exactly who He wants us to be. We're we're right in the exact place of His design. And then he also says, Paul does, that we are lights in the world. Foster, used of the sun and the moon and the stars. Believers shine as lights in the darkness. And he uses that little phrase, among whom you appear as lights in the world. You are literally shining as luminaries, like Daniel 12.3. Uh, when you lead other people to righteousness, you shine as the stars in heaven. Isaiah 49.6 says of the servant of the Lord, I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Paul said to the Corinthians that the glory of God shines in Jesus Christ. The glory of the gospel of the nature of God shining through Jesus Christ. And then when Christ is in us, we become lights in the world. And when we come around as lights, the first thing we do is expose what? The darkness, the deeds of darkness. In Matthew 5, and I know I'm throwing a lot of Scripture at you, but Matthew 5, verse 14, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, so let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. What's your responsibility in the world as a child of God? To be the one who hears the truth, understands the truth, believes the truth, lives the truth, proclaims the truth, defends the truth, and by virtue of that truth, you become a shining light in the darkness. That's what we do. In Ephesians 5.8, Paul said, You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now, what does light mean? It means truth and holiness, truth and virtue, the light of truth and the light of holiness. Walk as children of light. 1 Thessalonians 5.5, You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the darkness, nor of the night. What I'm trying to show you with this is we are not part of the world. I said that uh, Wednesday, right, in the morning. We don't have any connection with the system. We are alien to it altogether. We shine in the midst of the darkness. We are not the darkness. We are the light. In fact, in Proverbs 4.18, I love this verse, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the final day. It was said of John the Baptist, He was the lamp that was burning and shining. So we know where we are. We're in a crooked and perverse nation under divine judgment. We know who we are. We, as Malachi said, are the possession of God. He knows who we are. He's written us in his book. He will protect us and he will use us as his children to proclaim the truth and to shine as lights. So the last question, and really a simple question, what are we to do? Let's get practical. Well, it's revealed in the imperatives of this chapter. But first I want to go back to a a foundational text in the 18th chapter of John's Gospel. Toward the end of the chapter, Jesus is confronted by Pilate, and Pilate is very sarcastic with Jesus. Pilate in verse 33 of John 18 says, are you the king of the Jews? That's, That's just pure sarcasm, what a joke. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answers him in verse 36, John 18. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Again, this is what we were talking about on on Wednesday. The kingdom of God has nothing to do with this world. In John 6, they tried to make him a king by force, and he escaped. He, he didn't want to be a king in this world. It has no connection to this world. Why? Because 1 John 5.19 says the whole world lies in the lap of the evil one. And Jesus is not going to be the vice president to Satan. The kingdom that belongs to Christ, the kingdom that belongs to Christ is a kingdom that is a spiritual kingdom at this particular time. I think you are familiar with the statement that Jesus makes. Listen to Luke 17:20. Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God is is in you. The kingdom is present. The kingdom is present. The kingdom, kingdom that belongs to Christ, though, is not visible to the world. That's what John meant when he said, that the sons of God are not yet manifest. But the kingdom transcends the world, but it is present in the world. It doesn't derive its power. It doesn't derive its reality, its origin, its nature, its extent, its duration from any created entity. Christ's royal title, His sovereign authority and power are not derived from or dependent on any created person, institution, force, energy, work, effort or right. His dominion is eternal, derived solely from his own glorious nature. His rule is neither given nor taken away by any person, any government, any authority. His power has authority. His power and authority cannot be at all dim- diminished, limited, altered, removed, or replaced. His rule is complete, comprehensive, and everlasting over time and eternity over every soul that ever lived. And one day He will rule all creation with a rod of iron in truth and righteousness." Everything is on schedule. Psalm 2 gives us a a preview of that day. These are familiar words. Why are the nations in an uproar and the people devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. That would be the Father and the Son saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. They're going to attack the kingdom of God. He who sits in the heavens does what? Laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You're my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the very ends of the earth as your possession. Satan thought he could tempt Jesus to take that from him rather than wait for God the Father to give it to him. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. When that kingdom does come, he will break the nations with a rod of iron and shatter them like clay pots. Now, therefore, O king, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence. Rejoice with trembling. Do homage or kiss the Son that he not become angry and you perish in the way for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Again, we're reminded that when His wrath comes, we'll be protected. One day He will rule the creation. Revelation 19, He returns. Revelation 20, He sets up the glorious kingdom and reigns for a thousand years. So our Lord basically gave His kingdom manifesto when He said the kingdom is in your midst. And then He talked about the future earthly kingdom when He will triumph over the whole earth and heavens, halting all other kingdoms. He will rule alone as King of kings and Lord of lords on the earth, and then follow that by destroying the entire creation. It'll have an atomic meltdown described by Peter as the elements melting with fervent heat. The elements would be the atoms. There will be an uncreation in which everything goes out of existence and in it's place, a new heaven and a new earth, according to Isaiah 65, 66, Revelation 21. But for now, the kingdom of God is a spiritual reality separate from... Beyond, above, all other earthly power, all other earthly authority, all other earthly rule. Because of that, we draw nothing from earthly forces or powers to advance the kingdom of heaven. His kingdom cannot be harmed and it cannot be halted and it cannot be hindered by any earthly power. No laws can be made by any government or any ruler to advance His kingdom, to secure His kingdom. No penal sanctions can stop His kingdom. No temporal force can halt His kingdom. No one can get in his way. Now, there's more about his kingdom in John 18. Verse 37. Pilate says, Are you a king? Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. What distinguishes people in the kingdom. They believe what? They believe the truth. So you have the Satan who's the father of lies. The whole world lies in the lap of the evil one. The whole world is basically built on lies. It's a house of cards built on lies. Don't be surprised when you see those lies starting to collapse. They maintain their power by murder and lying. His people are the people of the truth. His people will rise up with David and say, Oh, how I love your law. All who love the truth are in His kingdom. So we start from the foundation of the truth to be identified as members of His kingdom. We're not of the world. We're in the world. Jesus prayed in John 17, Father, I don't want you to take them out. I want you to protect them in the world, protect them from the evil one. So, how are we to live in the world? Well, let's go back to Philippians and just to mention some things that you can examine on your own. There are there are many instructions here that are direct. Uh, one appears in verse 5 of chapter 2 have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus that although he existed in the form of god did not regard equality with god a thing to be grasped but emptied himself taking the form of a slave and being made in the likeness of a man being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself we are the children of god we are lights in the world how are we to live? With an attitude of humility like our Savior. Selfless humility should mark us. James said, Humble yourself in the presence of God and He will exalt you. You don't want to, you don't want to take the fact that you're a child of God and a light in the world and you're so distinct that you belong to Him eternally uh, as something to be proud of. You humble yourself. Why? Because then you're prepared to suffer. If you think too highly of yourself, you're going to assume that somehow suffering is something you don't deserve. But we are called to suffer. As Jesus suffered, he died as our atonement, obviously, but 1 Peter says he died as our example. Because when he suffered, when he was reviled, he did not revile again, but commended himself to a faithful creator. So humble yourself and get ready to suffer. Take suffering the way the Lord took suffering. Think like the Apostle Paul who said that I may know him, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his what? Of his sufferings. There's another imperative here in this text. And that is in verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does work out your salvation with fear and trembling mean? It means to obey. Just as you have obeyed, keep obeying. Work out your salvation. It doesn't mean you earn your salvation. It means the salvation that you have needs to show up on the outside. Obedience. Be demonstrably a servant, a slave of righteousness. There's so many imperatives here. But I want you to go down to verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. You know what is the best thing we can possibly communicate to the world as we live in these horrible times? That we don't complain. Humble yourself. Live a holy life. And don't complain. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Grumblings is an onomatopoietic word. That is, its definition is like its sound. It's an expression of discontent and an expression of dissatisfaction. It, It basically means to mutter in a low voice. Verbal rebellion. Constantly complaining. Look, you can't go around saying all that is true about you and that you're a part of the eternal, invisible kingdom and you belong to God as His beloved children forever and you are headed for heaven. You can't say that and expect anyone to believe it if you just complain all the time. Because what you're saying is, I believe in God, but I don't believe God's got control of the mess we're in. Who needs a God like that? Our God has complete control. And I think one of the definitive things you can say to people is, it is exactly the world the way the Bible describes it under judgment. Don't complain over what has happened in the sovereign purpose of God, and don't complain over your place in it. Paul says, I've learned in whatever state I am to be what? Content. And don't dispute, dialog is must. Don't argue with God over His purposes. You know, the happiest place to be is, is to be in the, in the will of God and in the plan of God, and that's where we live and move and have our being. I was saying recently that the play, my favorite place in the world is to be in the midst of a very difficult dilemma that I can't control. I feel safest there, I feel most secure there. Because in the things that I can control, I may be asserting my own will over the will of God. I'm uncomfortable with that. I would rather be in a situation that has no obvious exit and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to be joyful, I'm going to let you show me what your providence is planning. You know, people said, well, you you, you had courage when you you kept your church open. No. Look, I'm old. (laughs) I've seen the providence of God my whole life. I've seen the hand of God. The invisible hand of divine providence is the most amazing thing. I'll take that every day of my life over an occasional miracle. It's one thing for God to stop everything and do something that's against nature and supernatural. It's far more complicated for God to allow all the natural events and people and decisions and actions to be woven together to precisely accomplish His perfect will. Every day of my life, every single day of my life, I am surprised at divine providence. I love it when I don't know the way out and I don't know the answer I I have no fear because my faith has grown by the faithfulness of God to extract me from every imaginable dilemma. So rather than grumble or dispute I would take you down to verse 18. For the sake of time, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Paul says, look at me. (laughs) I'm being poured out as a drink offering. I'm in jail for the sacrifice and service of your faith. I rejoice and share my joy with you all. If I'm in jail and I'm joyful and I'm right where God wants me, then wherever you are, you need to have that same joy. Joy. The world needs to see us as joyful. Israel was, according to Deuteronomy 32, Israel was a crooked and perverse nation. Moses knew it. They sinned against God By complaining, Moses complained, Aaron complained, Miriam complained, the Israelites complained. You get into the book of Numbers and you think they might have learned something, and they're complaining through the whole book of Numbers. Stop complaining. Stop disputing with God. He is for us. He is in us. He is with us. And we don't win here, but we win in the end. Amen. Amen. Here the words of David in Psalm 37. And maybe this is a this is a good parting word. Psalm 37 Maybe down at verse, well, verse 1. Let's start there and take it all. First 11 verses. Do not fret because of evildoers. Do not be envious toward wrongdoers. For they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him and He will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger. Forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil doing. For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Yet a little while, and the wicked man will be no more, and you will look carefully for his place, and he will not be there, but the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. Wow. I could sum that up by saying don't watch Fox News. When you get to worrying about things, read Psalm 37. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. We draw such strength and encouragement, Father, from Your Word. It's so exhilarating to know the truth. To be the people of the truth, not by any merit of our own or any will of our own. We were, we were born again, not of the will of man but from Your sovereign will. May we live in joy. May we live in contentment. May we live with love. May the church of Jesus Christ be so marked by love and so marked by joy and peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control, all the fruit of the Spirit, that there is no human explanation for us and may the church in its joy, its tranquility, its love and its peace and its truth be that shining light on the hill lifting up Jesus Christ who will draw all men to Himself. That's our prayer for Your glory. We ask it. Amen.
1: Deliverance, whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you.
0: It's right such a beautiful song. Yeah, I'm going to trust the Lord. I don't care what comes my way today. I must trust in him. He's all I got. Really, he's all I need. More than I need, really. And if I trust him, if I depend on him, if I commune and fellowship with him, stay in touch with him, he's going to make it all right. I know this. anything that's going on that's uncomfortable to me. I don't like it. I don't want it. I know this is a trial. And my trials come only to make me stronger because there's a lesson in the storm. There's a lesson in the trial. And if I'm willing to learn the lesson, God can bless me. Because the next trial, I always have them now. That next one comes And because I endured this one and prayed for the understanding and the wisdom of it, the lesson behind it, when that next one comes, I'll do the same thing. And each time I'm growing more and more strong in him. Because in this life, many things are going to come our way that we don't like. Some things appear to be unbearable. But because he will never leave us Nor forsake us He will be with us until the end We can do it We're living in a perverse world Yeah Just a few years ago It appeared that The world flipped upside down That's the way it appeared to me Right is wrong Wrong is right I heard him talk about Murderers Killing children Yeah these people got to obey their daddy, the devil, because they are in bondage. The only way we can be set free, we have to come to, to Jesus, come to the Son to get to the Father. And the Father will allow the Son to set us free. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. We're free. But if we haven't been set free because it's the Spirit of God that keeps a man or a woman. The Holy Spirit of God keeps a man or woman. And if we don't have that spirit and we're not allowing that spirit to rule and reign in our lives, we can do anything. I can say I'm a Christian and I'm for abortion. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I can make all kind of excuses. I'm talking about endless excuses. Yet I say I'm a Christian. People tell you, well, a a Christian is the follower of Jesus. We're following Jesus Christ. I learned many followed him, but they didn't follow him to obey him. They didn't follow him to get to the Father. They didn't follow him to do what the Father wanted them to do or what was pleasing to him. They followed to see what was going on. Yeah, see, some come for the fish and the loaves. Some come to God because he can feed them. He pay bills. He can heal bodies. He can open doors that you, <laughs> that you don't even know a door is there. He make ways where there is no way because he, he himself is the way. He's a provider. So people come for this, you know, uh, they they come when they're in distress. They come when they're hurting. They come when they're in pain. They come when something they won't, uh, they can't get it, but he can provide it. So they come to him for these reasons. Now, they had plenty of opportunity to come to him for him, but that, that's not what happens. But if any man be in Christ again today, he's a new creature. Check it out now. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. We have to tell ourselves, I'm no better than Jesus. He suffered. The songwriter wrote it beautifully. Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No. There's a cross for everyone, and I know there's a cross for me. And if I'm going to follow him, i got to pick up my cross. And follow. Yeah, I can't make excuses. Well, I would have did this, but that. And 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 many, 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 it's, it, it's endless, the numbers, who hate the truth. Hate it. Don't like it. Won't do it. Oh, I know he said this, but I like that. I know he said this, but I'm going to do that. Listen. If you got Jesus, you know this. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And again this morning, he's my light. He's shining in darkness. He showed me the way. Many days he'll tug on me. Hey, hey. Did you say this and that? Listen at yourself. Did you do this? Look what you did. I got to go and Repent. And i got to seek him after I repent because I don't want this to come back again. When this thing comes back around, I don't want it to find me in the same place. But that I've moved on, my house been swept clean, and I refuse to allow anything that's not like God back in my house. Because, again, this morning, we're the church. We're the church of God. We're the church of Jesus. We represent God. We represent Jesus. How are we represented? What do your representation look like? Are you representing yourself and you're representing the world? You're representing the people in the world because you're trying to look like the world. You want to behave like the world. Your actions show worldly actions. Listen, again this morning, daily we prepare for his return. We don't know the day, not the hour. Another thing, we want to be workers unto him, for the harvest is plenteous, but the labors are few. And we're praying that the Lord of the harvest will send more laborers. But we ask God to remember the labor that he called or chose us for. And we want to be like Jesus. We want to be about our Father's business. I get up each morning and give me pleasure to come. Some mornings I don't feel like coming. Some mornings I want to lay and sleep a little bit longer. But I promised the Lord that I would hold out. I promised the Lord that I'm going all the way. And all of this take me going all the way. Going to the prison. Taking people to and from. Getting up every morning to open up Jesus in the morning. During the day, answering the phone. Praying for people during the day. Sometimes people call me, I don't feel like it, but I answer the phone. Some days I'm going through my own troubles, but I forget my troubles because I put them on the altar and walked away, so now I got to go and help someone that I can. Sometimes it's just talking and listening. It's not real counseling. Just laughing sometimes with it, talking, listening praying while I'm listening. Sometimes God will speak, say something right now and sometimes don't say nothing. It depends on what it is. Look, I want to do what others won't do. Yeah, I want to go where others won't go for the reasons they wouldn't go. So that when I stand before him, I can hear him say, well done, that good and faithful servant. You went in places no one else would go. You did things no one else would do. It, it do. it had to make sense to them. It didn't make no sense to you, but I sent you and you stepped out in faith and obeyed me. Come on in. You've heard me say it. The old timers, here heard me say, I'm from the South. I'm from Florida. In the United States of America, I'm from Florida. We like big jewelry. We like Big gold, big diamonds. We like gold so much, we put it in our mouth. I don't have gold, but plenty does. Look, I like the big emeralds, the big rubies, the big diamonds, the big sapphires, the big topaz, the big amethyst. I like all of those big so you can really see it. (laughs) Call me country. I'm from the country. But this is what I like. So when I get there with him, I want all of this in my crown. I'm looking forward to him giving me a name no one else can pronounce because it's his special name for me. He gave it to me no one know about. it. He don't call me this around everybody. When he and I are together, then he calls me by that special name. Hallelujah. I'm looking forward to the streets of gold to see what that looks like. I'm looking forward to sit down and get my assignments and continue to work. Because remember now, he's bringing down a new heaven and a new earth. So that will still be work. And guess what? We won't mind because we never get tired. We never get aggravated, frustrated. All of that is over. Because we put off. Immortality to take on immortality. We we put off this natural man. Now we have glorified bodies. I don't have to turn the knob to open the door anymore. I have a glorified body. I can go through it. All these kind of things, wonderful things, he has in store for us. The scriptures say, "Our eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, it, neither has it entered in it really into the hearts of men." What God have in store for us. Some things are right here on the earth. And a lot of things are in heaven. Heaven is a special place. Listen to this this morning. Not any and every old thing is in heaven. Not any and every old body is in heaven. We were bought with a precious price. The blood of Jesus. We're peculiar people. We are of a royal priesthood. We're different. We don't do what everybody else does. Yeah, we're not doing the same thing. Even in the body of Christ, many members but one body. I may be an eyelash. You may be a, a brain. Somebody else is a whole eye. Ah, <laughs> oh, glory, glory, glory. Or somebody is an a eyebrow. Somebody is an eyeball. Huh? Yeah. Somebody's a finger. Somebody's a fingernail. But we all make up this one body. And we all think basically the same because our thinking is to please the Father. Our thinking is to be like Jesus. But we have to give up the flesh to get there. We have to let this flesh die so that the Spirit of God can live in us. Yeah. Live in the human being. Yeah, he can live in us. And we can obey him at any cost. It makes no difference. If he says we know it's him, we're moving. Well, well, Sister Barbara, how do I know it's him? You got to fellowship and commune with it, And it can't be on your terms. It's got to be on his. You're not fellowshipping and communing with him and getting right with him because you want something from him. You're doing it because you're loving and it's right to do right. I'm with him because I found out who he is. Hallelujah, Jesus. I found out who he is. I found out that he was almighty God that have all power. I found out there's nothing too hard for him to do. I really found out the earth is his, the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. I found this out. If I trust him with all my heart and lean not to my own understanding, In all my ways, I acknowledge him. Pray before I make a move. He will direct my path. If I don't be wise in my own eyes, fear him. And anything I know I'm doing that's not supposed to be done, I depart from it. Depart from evil. God take up everything else. But we have to remember these things. And let him become our hiding place. Because now that we've received him, our life should be hid in him. Yeah. I know we just take it for granted and we just go right on and we pay more attention to this life than we do that other life. But I want to pay more attention to that heavenly life than I want to pay attention to this natural life. Because this life is going to pass away. But eternal life is forever. It is what it says, eternal Hallelujah. So we want to put on the whole armor of God today that we can stand against the wives of the devil. And after standing, we are going to stand some more because we're standing on the sheer foundation. We're standing on Almighty God and his word is solid. Hallelujah. What you found out, Louis? What you found out? Oh, I found out he's a keeper. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's not like man. He quickly forgives and forget. And so I'm grateful unto him this morning. Hallelujah. I appreciate it. I love him today. I can't turn him loose because he's all I got. He's more than I need. And without him, I can do nothing. Yeah, I have to repent like anybody else. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I'm striving for perfection. I want to be like Jesus. Yeah. I never seen his feathers get too ruffled over nothing. Even when they were going to throw him off the cliff, he didn't hold that against them. And he didn't, it didn't really ruffle his feathers. He just withered on the way out the crowd, you know, got out of their way. The son of God. And if we look back, he had been out hungry. He had been out fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. When he come out to fast, he come the devil to tempt him. That didn't ruffle his stuff as either. Just when he got sick of the devil, he just told him, get thee here, Satan, you got to go. And when the Satan was telling him all this and madness, he told him, hey, look here, you savor not the things of God, but you savor that which be of men. He also told him about this, to some stones, to bread. He said, man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God, see, He has something for him. And if we in the Word, and if we got a for real prayer life, when that devil come, we put the Word to him. He don't like the truth either, so you put the truth to him. He gonna run. The only way he tell you the truth, he's banking on you not believing it. This is what he does. Yeah, he can tell the truth to the devil, but he tell it so that you won't believe it. Because he feels like I know her. She won't believe this when I tell her this. And when you don't believe the things of God, he got you. He can bring more heartache, more frustration, more aggravation. Guess what? He can kill, he can steal, he can destroy you. Because that's his job. If you look at John 10, 10, it says, but this is why he comes. To kill, to steal, and destroy. But we thank God this morning, Jesus comes, hallelujah, that we might have life and have it more abundantly. But the only way you're going to have abundant life, you've got to let go of your flesh, of your natural thinking, your natural ways, basically. You've got to let that go and become a spiritual woman, a man in God. you got to let his spirit take over. Allow his spirit to lead and guide you. And pray and ask God, if you don't know how to do it, you got to go to him. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Lord, I don't I don't, I don't know how to walk in the spirit. And if you don't, that's many times it's because you don't have it. Because if you got it, it's going to shake you up. It's going to let you know. What I received from God, it let me know I had it. I would be thinking of this in soft, soft, almost a quiet voice to me. Would speak. Don't go there. Turn around. Yeah, I could be walking, get almost to the store, and I could hear go back. It was it, it was so soft and nice, I almost missed it. And then sometimes we think, oh, that's me talking. No, he said go back. I'm about to go back. I'm not about to. I'm turning around right now, heading back. I would forget something at home, and he would remind me of it. I can remember days I would snap my fingers and say, oh, thank you, Lord, because I forgot something important at home. And I had enough time to go back and get it and make the appointment on time. Could have been a job interview. Could have been something else, you know, a medical appointment or something. I know him as a healer. When I'm sincere and I really ask for healing, God does it. Apostle Paul said a thorn in the side to y'all. So some of us, we're going to have some thorns. But it don't stop God from blessing us. It don't stop us from walking in the spirit that we can fulfill the lust of our flesh. It's just what we want. I wanted him. I'm telling you today, I wanted God more than anything else. I wanted his spirit. I wanted to know him. I wanted to know about his ways. I wanted to know what I could do. And I stayed there until he did it for me. Today, I can truly say I'm one of the redeemed. I can say I'm blessed today. Woo, uncommonly blessed. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Grateful unto him, for there's none like him. We're almost out of time, and I'm going to pray, and then we're going to our last song of the morning. And after the song, I won't be coming back today. But uh, we give God glory, we give him the honor, and we give him praise. There is none like him. And uh, today, again, we want to remember to prepare daily for his return. We know not the day nor the hour when he's coming. So we want to be ready when he comes. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Father, your word is a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. And forever, oh God, thy word is settled in heaven. And Lord, many times the truth hurt. Many times we're ashamed of the truth. But it is what it is, God. It's the truth. And Lord, help us, teach us how to accept the truth. Teach us, Lord, how to love the truth. For your son Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And God, if we less than that, we can't make it. Father, we ask that you would help us to prepare for your return, for we know that you're coming back. And, Father, you're looking for the church without spot or wrinkle, and we need you today. We can't do this by ourselves. And, Lord, anything that we've done, any way that we have been, we ask, if it wasn't you, we ask this morning, that, Father, you would forgive us. And forgive us for all our sins and wrongdoings, wrong thoughts, wrong speakings, and wrong feelings. Give us a clean heart this morning, O God, and renew the right spirit within us. Help us to be that new creature that you made us to be. Help us to go back to the altar, God, and seek you the more. That when we leave the altar, we can walk up right before you in your spirit. In the name of Jesus. Father, we ask this morning that, God, those that are lost, that, Lord, we would be the the, the salt of the earth and give them their Savior, that we would lift up the bloodstained banner, that we would lift our candle high on the hill, that, God, it can't be hid, that it would lead the light, show the light that leads to you. We ask that we would be workers in the vineyard today in the name of Jesus. And, Father, as we depart this morning, Bless us going out of here And bless us when we come back Meet the need in our lives According to your riches and glory By your son Christ Jesus Father we ask it all today In the name of Jesus Amen and hallelujah May the Lord watch between me and thee While we are absent One from another In the name of Jesus Go today and have in peace Share the good news of Jesus and give someone something of quality. God loves a cheerful giver. Have a blessed day. I speak the blessings of Almighty God upon you today, August the 3rd, 2022, in Jesus' name. So at this time, I'm going to say bye-bye. Have a blessed day. And we are going to our last song of the morning, and we pray the Lord bring us back tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for another episode of Jesus in the Morning. Have a blessed day. We're going to our last song.